With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, and more. Along with a rotating cast of beat writers from around the league, Every Day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic NBA Show, Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Resilist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me today, special appearance, uh, my son, my old podcast partner of Yahoo Sports, William Liu. What's up, man? Blake, it's so good to talk to you again. Um, you come on my podcast all the time, so I'm happy that I finally got the invite to come back to to yours. So, thanks for having me. Yeah, have you ever been on this one before? Um, I so, no, right? I don't think so. No, I mean, you and Eric just have such good uh, two man game that you know you guys are like a Jose Calderon and Amir Johnson combo, <laughs> and I'm just like Ed Davis waiting for an offensive rebound. So yeah, yeah. And, you know, Ed Davis in the sense that uh, Eric probably likes you better than himself because Eric's got that self-deprecation, you know, and, and the world's biggest Ed Davis fan. It, you know, as it turns out, that is a key requirement for most writers is that self-deprecation. So, yeah. um, it's a good thing, I guess, professionally. I actually, actually talked about this uh, on my music podcast, Columbia House Party, recently with uh, a musician that came on. The episode's not out yet, uh, but keep an eye out for that. And basically, we agreed that, so my co-host on that podcast is an actor, I'm a writer, and then we had a musician on, and we agreed that those are the three industries where, like, how you feel about your own work is inversely proportional to how good it actually is and your success. So, um, yeah. We all we all fit right in that Eric Kareem mold of the worst a job you think you did you probably did probably did even better kind of as we were talking about before we came on air. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so we're gonna talk Raptors we, or we're, yeah, man, we gotta we gotta find, no, we're just gonna talk like existential questioning our our roles in the industry. <laughs> I'm down for that too, man. That's it. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure you do if you're listening to this podcast. You can find Will on Twitter at William underscore Lou. You can find all his work at Yahoo Sports. Uh, things like the Raptors postgame podcast, Raptors Over Everything podcast. You even wrote today, which I didn't know you still did. Yeah, it was uh, it was surprisingly hard. Um, the thing with uh, writing is that it's infinitely harder than podcasting. And so that's why people <laughs> transition out of writing to podcasting. But um, no, it's good. There's actually stuff to talk about because, you know, the Raptors have been... It's actually funny. I don't know if it's been the same thing for you, but like it, it was, you know, throughout the season, the Raptors canceled so many practices. So outside of like in arena availability, pregame, postgame, stuff like that, the Raptors just didn't have that much availability. There wasn't that much content necessarily and that much access. However, since going down to, or, you know, Florida, um, first at Fort Myers and now at training camp, they've had well, at least a dozen Zoom calls. Like it's actually kind of weird that they are somehow in this bubble so far away, but there's actually more access now than there was before, which is yeah, very odd. different. Different access, you know, you can't get yeah. those one on ones or the walkways or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the most I've talked to Nick Nurson for. I'm surprised he hasn't like banned me from the calls yet for asking like very specific things. I know he's not a big fan of. Um, you know, things like, hey, these are the plays you're running in crunch time. Is that going to inform, you know, ways to improve your half court offense or, you know, hey, what does the sports science department have to say about these off days and things like that? He's uh, I'm surprised he hasn't booted me yet. Like when I asked about the Spain pick and roll. 
Yeah, that's it's always really funny to me because when you ask something too specific, then he'll just basically say, um, you know, Blake, I feel too seen. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not coaching in the media is the uh, the line that I've been told in the past. But yeah. um, no, it's been great, man. It's been good. And, and like Nick is always uh, the Raptors have a lot of guys who are really good at that stuff. But but Nick is, um, you know, you think like, hey, I'm going to talk to this guy on Zoom calls 10 out of 12 days. Is it going to get redundant? Is, you know, he going to get tired of it or whatever? But Nurse has found a pretty good groove being helpful and like accommodating with us. So it's been nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, it's a it's a real blessing to, to be able to talk to to Nick, just because he's a he's an interesting guy, but b he's as you mentioned, like you know he's he's very warm, he's very open, and he will go out of his way to give you like a Birmingham um, like bullets. What was it? I forget. Barons, I think. Barons, right? Of course, it's Barons. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll go out of his way to give you a story. So um, it's yeah. always interesting to talk to Nick. Yeah, when I was with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, you know. Um, it's useful stuff, though. It just just don't give it to Kawhi. Just don't say it to Kawhi during the playoffs. Yeah. Um, guys, in addition to his work at Yahoo and podcasting, uh, Will, you are also now a professor of sports writing. Uh, tell the people about that a little bit and, and where they can sign up for that if there's still time. Yeah, there is still time. Um, you know, now there's more seats available, I think, because it's going to be done virtually, unfortunately, due to COVID. Um, but yeah, it's for flying books. It's uh, a series that they're doing. They're really giving people a lot of opportunities to sort of, um, dip their toe into sort of, um, different avenues. So they have different writers come on and give, um, you know, just, uh, basically a lecture series about, um, their field of writing. So I had the fortune of being asked to come on and talk about just covering basketball, not even necessarily writing, but also, you know, cause like nowadays, you know, sports media coverage is so, um, varied and diverse um you know obviously a lot of writers but you know even like yourself for example you're like you know in my opinion the best writer in in the city if not in the game period but um you know you also do a podcast you know i see you do uh radio appearances tv appearances you're obviously on social media like you really have to get a full scope of everything so that's what we're trying to cover with the course um blake i know you have generously um agreed to do one of the four lectures with me. And, uh, you know, I think for ours, we're going to cover more like analytical writing, um, breaking down film, using numbers and stuff like that. Um, we're also going to have our close friend, uh, Alex Wong, Stephen LeBron, come on and talk about clout chasing and the whole lecture <laughs> about that and how to get free stuff. How, how to get free stuff from, <laughs> from your job. Is it not important though? I mean, like, you know, why else do we do this? It is, man. I Look, <laughs> I, I'm leaning on Alex here to get me one of those like Raptors Black Lives Matter t-shirts i mean they look great man they look great they do look great yeah um yeah and then um yeah and then we're gonna have another two um lectures just sort of on sort of game writing and also um, on podcasting and social media so it's it's great you can find it at flying books there are still spots available and um yeah you know i'm looking forward to teaching with you blake i don't know if you've ever taught before but i'm a little nervous for it uh, I have not. I have guest lectured once and I've done like panels and stuff like that. And then I was like, like I was a TA in university, but not in like any meaningful teaching way. So, uh, no, man, you, you, I, I, I put you on that. That's about it. As far as teaching goes. No, that's facts. That's facts. Blake has put on a lot <laughs> of people in the Raptors game. Shout out Lewis. Always asking just like very specific questions, very similar to you for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about TA? Lewis got that big TA energy. The I'm taking over the this lecture from Nick Nurse from Professor Nick Nurse for a minute. Yeah, I mean, That's, he's always uh, dressed in all denim with with a mustache too, so it really fits the look. Yeah. 
Yeah, shout out to Lewis, um, Vivek, Katie, all the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Will and I, every, I think a lot of people know, got our start, or most of our start at Raptors Republic, and, and that site's still still going on, still doing great stuff. Samson kind of taking your old podcast role, and, and a lot of people stepping up uh, on the writing side. So, you know, keep uh, keep an eye on Raptors Republic in addition to me and Eric and Will. By the way, speaking of me and Eric, um, our condolences to Eric for why he's not on this podcast this week. If you want more information, you can check out his Twitter account. He wrote a really powerful thing. Uh, about why he's he's off for a few days right now. I don't want to go into his personal stuff on the pod, but um, yeah, check that out. It was uh, it was a really moving piece. Uh, beyond that, you know, we plugged a bunch of Will stuff. If you are not a subscriber to The Athletic yet, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six for 40% off a subscription right now, or click on any of my recent articles for a 30-day free trial if you want to just check us out as things ramp up. Because Will, we have uh, games starting soon. This will be... We're like more than four months into not having basketball. Like it's been four months and 10 days since the last basketball games were played. This is the last one of these I have to do without actual games to talk about for a little while. Yeah, no, listen, I feel your pain, man, because uh, we've <laughs> everybody's sort of just been trying to look back on things and uh, spin off very small ideas. Like I just wrote like a thousand words on 30 minutes of gameplay. Like it's, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's a little dire out here, but... um. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is, you know, the Raptors, between when they won the championship on June 13th to when ring night happened, October 22nd, that was a shorter break than what the Raptors had just in season now by about a month. So that's about a month longer. Yeah, so it's really been a really long offseason. Obviously, there's been big reasons for that. uh, And I guess there's still news to cover, but it's been sort of more... um, I don't know. It's just not, it's not necessarily about basketball and that's what we usually talk about. So, um, but I mean, I think it's created a good space and conversation to have, um, around social movements, stuff like that. But at the same time, um, you know, just being able to see a, a skirmish between the Raptors and the Rockets, um, you know, coming up this weekend is, I'm really looking forward to it, man. I mean, you know, there's, there's yeah. no other thing I'd rather be doing than watching, um, you know, Daniel House on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. PJ Tucker against OG Ananobi in the post. Let's go. Because I'd be surprised if Westbrook and Harden play, given that they were quarantined and stuff like that. I don't even think Westbrook's in Orlando yet. Uh, so he's almost certainly out. And I don't know where Harden is in the, the quarantine protocol. So, um, by the way, not only was this gap longer than last offseason, uh, beginning Friday, the Raptors play will play pretty much every second day until they're eliminated from the playoffs. They do have a three-day gap between their final scrimmage and... Um, their first actual game and then they'll have like a small gap after their final like they could have two to three days off after their final regular season game before uh, the playoffs start however uh, based on what the the playoff schedules look like and and based on like we could say with relative accuracy that if say the Raptors go seven games in every series all the way to the finals they could be playing basically every second day from Friday through October 13th The draft is then October 16th, and free agency opens October 18th. Based on the estimates that the league has laid out, training camps would then begin, like, in early November. Uh, So, Will, I hope that you've gotten some nice downtime in, some good personal time with your uh, significant other, some good uh, mental rest, because we might not have a day off for, like, a year now. Yeah, I can't wait. It's great. That sounds like a complaint, but I'm actually very excited for it. Yeah, I think so, man. I, I should just think that, like, you know, four months off, um, 
it, it, it just sucks that we couldn't have vacation, obviously, because you couldn't travel much. But um, no, I, I'm excited for it, too. And I think, you know, you, you and I, were, we, we both live sick lifestyles. We really just, you know, um, live and breathe the Raptors. And honestly, this is kind of how we prefer it. Yeah, I'm here so, for it, man. Yeah. Give, give me that Monday morning news dump when the Raptors name a, a new vice president of culture inclusion and the 905 get a new head, all that stuff. It's yeah. uh Yeah. By the way, uh let's do like, before we get into the the main topic today, we're going to kind of go player by player and talk about what we're looking for them in the relaunch or what they need to do to carve out a bigger role. Uh we do have a, a couple of of news items to get to uh off the top. I did mention that well, I guess the first thing is the NBA and MBPA announced on Monday that uh, in the latest round of COVID testing, uh, so that, that covers 346 players between July 13th and July 20th, um, zero tested positive for, for coronavirus in the bubble testing. So uh, a positive sign early on, as Fred Van Vliet said on a Zoom on Monday, you know, no way to spin that other than that it's good news. Obviously, still room for for concern, you know, long term. And you hear things like Dwight Howard refusing to wear a mask, and he's already been hit up on the snitch line for for not following the protocols and stuff like that. And um, you know, you you start to, or, or if you watched Jesus and Marrow recently, uh, you you know, you there are other concerns about the bubble being potentially penetrated. So um, you know, not in the clear yet. But I think you compare this to MLS and, and some of the other leagues as they got going. Um, Having zero so early in the bubble is a uh, is a pretty encouraging sign. So um, that's that's a good piece of news. And then uh, the other big one is as I as I said Monday the Raptors announced that John Wiggins, who was formerly uh, basically running the 905 from a basketball and franchise operations perspective, is now the Raptors vice president of culture and inclusion. Uh, Courtney Charles, who was uh, director of player development, will move over into Wiggins' old role with 905, which is a, a pretty natural change for him because you know he's been with the organization 15 plus years. And basically since Masai took over, uh, Courtney's been in a uh, player development role. So this is a pretty natural extension of that. The team hasn't mentioned anything, but I would assume uh, Shelby Weaver, who was who is the manager of um, player development, will assume a larger responsibility with Courtney moving over. Um, she's great. She's had a, a big hand like Courtney has, like John Wiggins has uh, in a lot of the, the Raptors player development success these last few years. So um, some cool moves there. Will, I, I'm wondering about your take on the, uh, you know, adding a vice president of culture inclusion and what you saw from the team's press releases and some of the quotes that were out there. I wrote a story for it for the athletic. I got on the phone with, with John Wiggins and Courtney Charles yesterday, uh, both of whom I have a relationship with. You know, I've been around the 905 basically since they started and John Wiggins was on the ground floor that so uh, I'm excited to see John in that role I know a big part of how he built the 905 and what he envisioned for them was uh, the community outreach side of that and what they can do in the GTA and I, I'm excited to see how that extends to uh, the Raptors as an organization and you know the greater Toronto community with the Raptors being a much bigger platform than the 905. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the moves are fantastic and I think it's fantastic um, not only because these people deserve the promotions and the opportunities, but I think it's fantastic because the Raptors have made it very clear based on their leadership and based on their actions that, um, you know, they are trying to create more inclusivity. They are very, very intentional about the way they hire, um, you know, and that goes across the board. I think Masai is, you know, look, it's, it's hard to sort of, it's hard to lavish praise on people for doing what they should be doing. But at the same time, when the bar is so low and the industry is the way it is, 
and especially so male dominated. Um, you know, the Raptors have done a really good job by the forefront of that. And I think, you know, I just think it speaks to a larger trend of just how much the Raptors um, are just really, really ahead of the curve and they have their stuff together. If you really think about it, right? I mean, you know, there's other factors that go into this, but if you if you look at the rest of the NBA and, and, and the teams that are participating in the bubble, I mean, you know, knock on wood, but the Raptors have been one of very, very few teams, and I think the only team now in the Eastern Conference that have not had a player test positive for COVID. Now, of course, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think the amount of planning the Raptors did, the fact that they went down to Fort Myers early, they got a facility, they were able to get the players there, they were able to get them a little bit extra training, they were able to get into the bubble, of course, everyone's safe, everyone healthy. Um, and then, of course, you know, we've seen how much effort the Raptors have made in terms of, you know, putting Black Lives Matter on the bus, putting Black Lives Matter on even small things like, um, you know, when, when the Raptors do their Zoom calls now, they have a backdrop. And of course, they still have, you know, the Raptor logo, We the North, but, you know, they also have Black Lives Matter on there as well. And it's, it's a very small thing, but it's also something that's very visible. It's very intentional. And I think this is just an extension of that. I think the Raptors have really, really good leadership. And I think it's shining through at this exact moment when you see that, you know, when, when, when there is a crisis, um, that's where I think leadership shines the most. And I think, again, it's hard to praise the Raptors for doing what they should just be doing in the first place. But the fact that they're doing what they're doing, um, you know, says a lot about, about the leadership structure, um, that the Raptors have in place. And I think we always knew that was fantastic from a basketball perspective because we've seen the results. We've seen them grow and, and win a championship. Um, and I think this is just an extension of that. Yeah. And, you know, in my conversation with Wiggins, that that shone through. Right. And it was, you know, a lot of his a lot of what he said was, you know, we ha- we do have a good culture and we do do well on this. stuff. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing from him, not using we as in the Raptors. Um, and, and this is a quote from him. He's, he said, um, so for me, it's taking a look at our organizations and really deciding what kind of culture do we want to have. And we know we've got a winning one. But do we need to revisit and keep an eye on, are we being diverse? Are we being inclusive? Are we accepting of people's opinions and voices? Um, and then later on in that conversation, he said, we need to take care of our house and take a look at ourselves and make sure that we are who we want to be or say we are. So I, I think an element of, of him moving into this role is, yes, the Raptors do a good job of these things. And they're probably, you know, if not at the head of the class, certainly one of the benchmarks around the league. Uh, but part of this role will be, you know, not only making sure that they're consistent with that, but pushing that benchmark even higher for everyone. And I think, you know, the introduction of that role and John Wiggins in that role specifically uh, is really encouraging. And then I think, you know, from what I understand, this is a the type of VP level hire that you can also expect uh, with the Leafs and at the MLSE level as well to kind of make this a, a broader organizational thing. But um, good first step. The, I guess the only other piece of news to come out of Zoom calls in recent days is that Nick Nurse basically said, uh, we won't see the regular rotation in these scrimmages, the Raptors scrimmage Friday, Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday. And Nurse said the plan is likely to hold a couple guys out of each one. I think that's probably aimed at not only easing guys in and, and not having them play three games in five days right away, but also making sure he can get a look at you know all 17 guys that are there with them. Uh, Will, the, my, the, the question that flows from that, naturally for me is are you going to ease in as well are we getting four things from the Rockets game then seven things from the Suns game before you ramp up to 10 from the Lakers game oh man come on you, you know better man I mean um, all the summer leagues <laughs> this this can't this can't be less covered than the summer league when all the players have gone home and it's uh 
I don't know, man. Lindell Wigginton scoring 30 points on the Sixers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I, I think that makes a lot of sense. First off, the Raptors have, what, they have 17 guys down there. And yeah. it's actually been very rare, A, for the Raptors to have 17 guys, but B, to um, have the full squad available for um, the Raptors. Obviously, they've been banged up this season a, a ton. So uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for Nick to sort of look at um, – you know, different combinations and again just ease people in because again if you look at the bigger picture here the goal isn't to be you know hitting the ground right in that first game against the lakers right if you you know this is not a situation where okay you're the the the, the trailblazers or you're um, the pelicans and you really need to make up that ground to get into the playoffs the raptors have a pretty secure spot of course they have a three-game lead on the on the celtics and it's not saying that look you should they should just treat the whole thing as a really long preseason i don't think they'll do that but um, I think the Raptors also can be smart about how they exert themselves, how they sort of ramp up, and they have a longer runway than other people. So I think the scrimmages are going to be good. I think it'll be nice to see, just sort of see where everyone is at conditioning-wise. It'll be hard to read too much into at least any of these scrimmages, but um, at the same time, um, I am interested to see, maybe take an extended look at, you know, what a guy like Boucher can do, you know, now that he's added a bit of weight, um, you know, how can his, his, you know, what's Rondé saying, uh, Terrence Davis, if he's made any you know growth or any incremental development, and and even guys like Dewan Hernandez, I guess he's healthy now, so it'd be cool to actually see him play, um, and also some Paul Watson and O'Shea Brissett, because admittedly I'm not watching 905 like that. Yeah, uh, you know I think I don't think we're gonna see a lot of Paul Watson, but uh, he sure can hit a three, so I think he he could you know you know how three point shooters are, you can come in and you can win fans pretty quickly. Uh, if you're not, if as long as you don't do the Nigel Hayes things and, and come in hit fan, hit threes quickly and then shoot arrows at the opposing team's bench so Dwayne Casey never looks at you again, um, I don't think you have to worry about Paul Watson doing that. The big thing to look for from Watson and Dewan Hernandez and I think O'Shea has like the potential to get some playing time, but uh, you know with no crowds at these games, those three are going to be your big bench celebrators, right? Like we know what O'Shea can do in that role. We know what DeWan Hernandez can do in that role, even in a boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Watson is not as kind of, you know, uh, he Paul Watson is very quiet. Paul Watson was uh, referred to as G League Kawhi early in the uh, early in the 905 season for how little he spoke. So uh, they'll have to bring that out of him a little bit uh, as well. But we could actually see O'Shea. The Boucher thing, you know, I know that Bruno violated uh, quarantine, but I think he's out of quarantine as of today. So he could conceivably play uh, Friday. Uh, the Boucher-Bruno matchup is going to be awesome, especially since, like, if Westbrook and Harden don't play in those games, I think the Rockets are pretty shorthanded in general. Uh, you could get big Bruno versus Boucher minutes. I'm here for it. Uh, listen, if, if that's what a scrimmage is for, man. I mean, I'm trying to see a premium... <laughs> Uh, all-access uh, version of a Rico Hines run. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is, uh, I can't wait until they release the scrimmages chopped down to 15-minute YouTube videos so you only see uh, the really good stuff. Yeah. You don't see any of the bad stuff. Um, so one other thing that Nurse said, and this kind of pivots us into our main conversation about what what we're looking for from guys as these games relaunch and what certain guys can do to maybe carve out larger roles um, I'll start with the one that we've both talked to death over the course of the season, but I think is going to come up early again in these games. Um, Nick Nurse said Monday, uh, he was back to talking about the top eight. And th- this is a quote from Nurse. 
I think we need that top eight to play together a little bit. You know, the top eight we envisioned at the start of the year has very, very few minutes together, if any at all. Uh, You will remember back to the start of the year when Nurse was referring to a top eight. That included the top seven that we all know and assume will be in the rotation uh, heavily. And then Patrick McCaw was that eighth. Uh, I know a lot of people, and I'm among them, feel that Terrence Davis had done more this year to kind of grab that number eight role. And obviously, it'll shift a little bit based on matchup. You know, maybe Boucher or Hollis Jefferson ends up getting the eighth most minutes in a a certain series or whatever. Uh, But Davis McCaw is probably the biggest quote-unquote training camp battle for for a role in the rotation and and minutes come playoff time. Uh, So I'm wondering, Will, you know, I'm... I joke all the time that I'm like the only Patrick McCaw centrist. Like, I think he's fine. Uh, and I think if he's in your the back of your rotation, like you're not in bad shape or anything. I just think Davis is a little more dynamic and fits a little bit more of what the Raptors need. Uh, so I'm curious, Will, what you'll be looking for from Terrence Davis in these relaunches. And, and if you're Nick Nurse, what specifically are you looking for for Terrence Davis? Where, you know, basically how could he earn your trust if you're Nick Nurse over a Patrick McCaw, who I think, you know, that's a, a floor versus ceiling kind of kind of conversation. Yeah, I think that's a good way to frame it. Um, I think Terrence, he, obviously offensively, he's ahead of McCaw. Like you can say, you know, McCaw is a steady ball handler kind of, and, you know, he can initiate offense a little bit. He's, I guess, more pass first, so you can allow the other guard to be a more featured piece of the offense. But realistically, Terrence Davis is, is just way more advanced than McCaw is offensively. And I think really the difference is just defensively. I think Nick has made it very clear that if you don't play defense, you're not going to get a lot of minutes. I'm not, and that's not to say that Terrence Davis doesn't play defense, but the bar is very high for you know the Raptors and what they consider playing defense. And I think Terrence, you see him making rookie mistakes sometimes. Um, you know, you'll see him jump on a pump fake and foul a three-point shooter occasionally. Uh, and again, it's not fair to pick on Terrence because I think for a rookie, he's actually done really well defensively, especially given the the difficult sort of schemes the Raptors end up throwing out there with zones and full court press and stuff like that. But I think if Terrence can really show in these scrimmages that, look, he's got these fundamentals down, he's really in sync with the rest of the group um, defensively. Uh, then, yeah, I, I I don't see why Terrence wouldn't be given that role over McCaw. Maybe at that point it's just a seniority thing. But, you know, when you come to the playoffs and stuff like that, it, it's really about winning games. It's about, you know, doing whatever is necessary to get over that line. And um, I think at that point, seniority goes out the window. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's really just defensively. But honestly, to me, I, I, I think I've already seen more from Terrence than I've seen from McCaw. And, and it's just... You know, if, if Terrence can make up that gap defensively, then then yeah, I could see him jumping that, that spot. Yeah, my concern with McCaw in a, in a playoff series, and I, I like his defense, and I think he's like a, a high event defender in the sense that um, he can make stuff happen. I know I know he's, the, the team really loves like how he recovers if he gets caught on a screen and like his rear view contests and stuff like that. Um, and then he does help, you know, drive turnovers a little bit with his length. The The issue is you look at a playoff series and especially how the Raptors have treated other teams in recent years. And you see what like a non, an unwilling offensive threat can do to your offense. And McCaw, you know, he did shoot the three a little bit more this year than than he did the year prior. 2.8 attempts per 36 minutes, but only at a 32% clip. And, and it's more, you know, the volume there than the, than the three-point percentage even um, where you know, the Raptors offense can create an advantage and then it swings to him and, you know, that hesitation or or that desire to pass first can kind of 
kill that advantage sometimes. Um, again, not to pick on McCaw, it's just I think Davis's dynamism on offense is something that, especially when you look at those lineups that maybe won't have Pascal Siakam on the floor or won't have both point guards, you know, the Raptors lack an ability to put pressure on the rim within the rotation. And I think that's something, that's an area where Davis stands out and, and he's more of a, not only an advantage creator, but someone who could take advantage of uh, advantages that have been created elsewhere in the offense. Um, so that's something to watch for. I guess the other thing that's worth talking about because we've both written it about it recently is uh, Nick Nurse's fondness for his large sons and potentially playing a jumbo lineup. Uh, do not ask Fred Van Vliet about being in a jumbo lineup, by the way. Uh, Mike Cantor of the Toronto Sun asked Fred what, uh, what those jumbo lineups uh, are like for him to play in as the point guard and he said I'm not sure I'm part of any jumbo lineup I don't know if I'm in that group so that might be a better question for someone else uh, maybe Patrick McCaw in there but I don't know if Freddie V is in any jumbo lineups uh, first of all him referring to himself as Freddie V is very funny um, but I, realistically what we're talking about when we're talking about a jumbo lineup is a lineup that includes um, any four of OG, Siakam, Abaka, Gasol, maybe Hollis Jefferson or Boucher in there somewhere, and then one point guard, um, probably Kyle Lowry. The sample that we have was Lowry, Ananobi, Siakam, Abaka, Gasol. They played about 30 minutes together this year and even started two games. Uh, Will, you wrote about that for Yahoo uh, on Tuesday. I wrote about it for, for The Athletic over the weekend. What what intrigues you about that lineup? And do you actually think that that's something that, that we could see, you know, 30 minutes over the course of 64 games is not a lot. And their hand was forced a little bit of that by injury. Do you actually think that this is something we could see? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think if you just look at sort of some of the matchups in the Eastern conference, I think it's very obvious that they will try to use it again against Philly. Um, that was obviously the key series adjustment. You know, Philly made their adjustment with Embiid on Siakam. And then the Raptors counter-adjusted by going bigger and playing two centers. And I think that really helped even the series and, of course, eventually for the Raptors to win the series. Um, and It also convinced the 76ers to max Al Horford, and we see how that's turning out. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. Backup center Al Horford. Anytime you can spend $109 million on a backup center, you got to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I love that shade when the Raptors pay $23 million to their backup center, too. But <laughs> It's fine. He starts half the time, all right? Um, but... You know, and we've seen it against Milwaukee last year, too. In, in more limited doses, I think it wasn't as successful against Milwaukee. It wasn't terrible, but it was there um, against Milwaukee as well. And, of course, against Golden State, it just, you know, maybe they saw a few minutes together. But it's, it's it was very rare given that they played in the perimeter. And I think, you know, with the Raptors, the matchups, okay, so Philly's there. Milwaukee's kind of there as well. Um, and then you look at the rest. Okay, so Indiana, you could probably play it against Indiana. Uh, you know, Indiana starts two centers with Sabonis and Miles Turner. Um, Sabonis, by the way, who's dealing with plantar fasciitis right now. Yeah. So if, uh, if that's a if that's a thing that lingers, uh, I'm no longer too too concerned about Indiana. Though that injury sucks and has a uh, it tends to stick around. So hopefully Sabonis gets gets better soon. Yeah, that that's really unfortunate. And the paces of obviously, you know, there's a Victor Oladipo question sort of hanging in the air. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Who knows? Um, you know, and then, you know, what Malcolm Brogdon's wearing masks at practice because people are a little afraid of the fact that he might have some sort of lingering. I, I'm not really sure, but the Pacers are a little questionable. But, yeah, I mean, if the Pacers have their full roster or whatever, you know, they have two centers there. You can start there. Um, and even Miami, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily use it as much against Miami just because, they, yes, they do start Bam and Myers Leonard. But, you know, Leonard is in that Louis Scola type of like I start, but I also sit on the bench most of the time. 
Um, but, you know, that's another matchup you can use there. I, I just think, you know, with the large, the jumbo lineup, I, I see two things that are really good with it. I think one, you know, the amount of length that you could put on the floor is is really impressive. And it doesn't really lead to a defensive drop-off in the sense that these guys really know what they're doing. Um, they're very smart. And you, if you look over those 30 minutes, again, very small sample, but, uh, you know, they were able to still be flexible defensively. You saw full-court presses. You saw... You know, trapping the post, you saw zones, um, you know, and, and if you can do all that while being big, then, then I think that's interesting because I think the Raptors, you know, one of their strengths is being flexible defensively. You're not giving up flexibility. And I think offensively, it just creates a mismatch for, for Pascal because now suddenly he's playing three and he's bigger than most threes and he can shoot over top most threes. And I think that's really the biggest thing for Pascal is can he have a size advantage to attack a smaller guy. And when you put, put him at three, because, you know, there's also Mark and Serge on the floor, then Pascal has an advantage, and that's the way to play. And so I thought, especially in the Oklahoma City game where they started big, Pascal had a really, really impressive game, not just by the numbers, but, but when you look at the film and sort of the way he attacked, um, you know, the Thunder, they, maybe they are, they are lacking in a small forward anyway, but, um, yeah, I mean, Pascal was roasting these guys. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and you know, I, I've already, you know, you don't want to do too much prep because there's only a, a small percentage chance you draw each of these teams. But Miami's a fascinating one to me, not for the big lineup, but just like we don't have a like I think we all know. And, and you know, Lewis Atzman did a, a good breakdown of this at Raptors Republic. I, I touched on it. It was actually one of the last things I wrote before we went into hiatus about the Siakam Lowry and Siakam Van Vliet kind of pick and rolls late game Miami won at least when they have Myers Leonard or Kelly Olynyk on the floor with Bam is um I want to see more of a Siakam Gasol pick and roll I think you know I think Bam is probably the best designed defender in the Eastern Conference to guard Siakam if we assume that Budenholzer still isn't going to put Giannis on on top guys one-on-one so um you know how they deal with the Bam equation is is interesting to me and I don't know that Going big, we'll solve that because, you know, I, I think that they'll stick Bam on, on Siakam no matter what. But seeing more of that Siakam-Gasol pick and roll is, is something I'd be interested in. Um, well, we both kind of talked uh, this year, especially, you know, used the hiatus time to explore how Siakam grew into that role as a number one guy this year. Um, what's, you know, I, I think statistically the pat the playmaking didn't really come along his number of passes his frequency of passes his assists didn't really go up as the season went along i think anecdotally the degree of difficulty that he was facing went up as the season went along and, and um you know qualitatively i i liked more of his reads and the the way he attacked defenses and, and things like that um you know he said in a in a zoom call the other day that he that's something he's looked at and he's studied everything from point guards to centers to try to pull from all those guys. Um, what are you looking for? You know, we, when it comes to Siakam, and, and I don't mean just like, you know, ISO clear out and get the last bucket of a game. But when you look at a guy who has 28, 29% usage and has the ball in his hands a lot in the half court. And, you know, while he's been league average efficiency on superstar usage, which is encouraging, uh, the Raptors still don't have, you know, they have an average half court offense. Is it a scoring mentality? Is it a finishing thing? Is it a, is it a playmaking? What's the what's the top thing you're going to be looking for from Siakam in these eleven kind of tune up games? I think the playmaking is a really uh, good point, and, and you know, especially because teams are probably going to be double teaming him, and if you're if that's going to happen, you're going to need him to playmake. Um, 
you know, even Kawhi, for example, not really a pass first kind of guy, Kawhi, but, um, you know, even last year, I mean, he, I think he got up to five assists in some of those um, playoff series. And, and again, it was just, look, if they're going to double team you, you got to be able to make plays and out of that. I think Pascal's a pretty willing passer. He's not necessarily selfish. He will force some shots, but at the same time, I think he's trying to find that balance as a first year guy of being that sort of off, um, number one option. You got to, you, you really have to force the issue sometimes. And I think, you know, that's understandable. Really with Pascal's playmaking though, I think it comes down to two things. I think one, I think the reads passing out of the post is not always consistent in the sense that he'll usually make the more obvious play, the more obvious pass. Um, and you know, the way I think about passes is sort of like the more, the smarter of the pass, the, the more defenders you can beat with the pass, um, the, the better of a chance you're going to get at an open shot. And I think Pascal, right now at the moment, you know, he mostly makes the basic, you know, kick out pass. And then, of course, then it's the onus on the rest of the teammates to swing the ball around and eventually get the open shot. If you can sort of find some of those LeBron as passes where he's in the post, but then he throws a, a dagger to the opposite corner because he sees someone creeping in on the baseline. Uh, as a third defender, um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, maybe could increase his um, playmaking and his assists. But I also think the other thing is just when you see him attacking in pick and roll, there's a bit of a tendency with Pascal right now to pick up his dribble, um, coming off a high screen, especially with defenders right there to meet him. And I think it just speaks to um, he's not entirely confident in his dribble to sort of go all the way downhill, beat multiple defenders, and really suck in the entire defense, you know, drag two, three defenders with him because he's able to handle, because he's able to get to the rim, and then kick out that way. I think, again, that's another way to, to you know, create better off, off opportunities for your teammates. So um, it, it's really just, uh, I think it's really just an experience thing, both in terms of just like even continuing to sharpen his handle uh, and also continuing to sort of make better reads. And I think that's that's why it's great that he's studying all this film because, you know, as he said, he, he didn't he didn't shoot for three months, so you got to do something. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he shot even less than I normally shoot over a three-month span oh. when uh, when we're not in lockdown. I was, was going to say, you, you know, Pat McCaw may be the only guard that shoots less than you, so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess Ronda is the closest thing to you in terms of the foul rate, so. <laughs> That uh, when they were when they were kicking around that idea of like I don't know if you remember the the rumors early on of like how do we how does the league make a home court advantage since teams don't have home court advantage and like one of the ideas was like you get one extra foul I was like oh yeah it's a William Lou rule oh man listen um yeah you know I I live for that stuff I really do uh, you you really have to maintain a strict no layups policy in pick in pickup <laughs> basketball <laughs> oh man oh boy that's yeah, uh. I don't know, man. I, I, it's going to be a while before we can have the the annual Raptors Republic three on three tournament. I think so. Yeah. Lots of time to, you know, lots of skill work, lots of video. I'm working, man. Th- thankfully, Alex Wong had like posted like four video clips last year, so we have film to to break down. Yeah, listen, I'm working on it. Okay, sources say that uh, the the, the mid range game for me is coming along because I've been shooting. Oh, I've been well, shooting like we don't once. Need to see any of that. <laughs> listen, man, I, I shot like sixteen of eighteen from the free throw line the other day. I was very proud of myself. Cool. Okay, Bruce Arthur, <laughs> tweet, tweet out your free throw results every day. Now the mid range, you know the mid range is is useful at times. That's that's what Michael Grange used to give me buckets when we were in Milwaukee during the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Is wow. I'm uh you know I'm only five ten five eleven, but I'm strong enough to keep bigger people away from the rim. But I'm not you know I don't have the length to if a guy gets hot on long twos, and I'm not you know you guys know that I I think analytically I if if I have to concede a long two. 
in order to, to better protect the paint, I'm going to do that. So that's the uh, that's the strategy against me, at least. Wow, that's uh, so get get after it, Will. So, you, so you've you've gotten sauce now by both Assad and Michael Grange. Okay, just just keeping track, man. That's all. Assad, it was one shot, man. It uh, was a uh, you know late switch call on a pick and pop. Mm. That's uh, it's tough. Sometimes shooters make shots, Will. I mean, yeah, and Assad is definitely a shooter, so it's not it's not entirely yeah. your fault, but it, it was nasty that yeah. the Dirk one legged on you. Yeah, uh, I don't think the I don't think that's actually true, but I think it was a pretty stand. It was like more of a, a pick and pop, you know, an Abaca situation with a late switch call. Where, yeah. Anyway, anyway, but yeah, Grange 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 got hot against me in uh, in Milwaukee. I was wearing a that that game was funny because I had a wrist brace on because I had hurt my hand boxing, and it was just like comical how little people were guarding me because not only do I not shoot normally, but my right hand was in a wrist brace also. <laughs> Um, anyway, we should talk about the, uh, the Raptors instead. Um, so one of the things that, you know, that Nick Nurse has talked about a little bit, and it's kind of, it's kind of an edict of how the Raptors have tried to develop players. And, and this applies to Siakam and something like a Siakam Lowry pick and roll or a Siakam Gasol pick and roll, but also how teams might try to guard, um, Siakam and the Raptors as fivesomes. You know, Nick has talked about, wanting to be dynamic enough that they can put OG in a pick and roll as the screener or as the handler. And the idea being that, you know, I think everyone on the floor, you know, you look at their top seven rotation, I think in Nick Nurse's ideal, every one of those guys except for Ibaka would be able to um, handle in the pick and roll. You know, Gasol, you're probably primarily dribble handoff. You're, you're not, you know, he's not stringing out the pick and roll up top or anything like that, but he can be in those actions. And then he'd like for all seven guys you know, except maybe Norman Powell, who they've only tried it a couple times with, and he doesn't quite have the fundamentals down yet um, to be a screener. So, so you know, you look, and of those seven guys, you got five or six guys that can handle, six, maybe seven guys that can screen. Um, I'm curious how you see OG fitting into that, because I think if you look at any se- any five-man combination of the top seven, which I think when we get down to you know, late game scenarios in the playoffs. Those are the seven that are that are really going to be in the mix to close out games. I think Ananobi is the one guy that opponents are going to uh, test. I think they're going to, you know, even though he's a 37, 38% three-point shooter, he's the guy that you might help off of in the corner to send an extra body at Siakam or toward a pick and roll. Um, he's the guy that chugging around a 15% usage, the other team might put their worst defender on. Um, if OG can work in the pick and roll a little bit, particularly as a screener, you know, we've seen the Pascal OG pick and roll a couple times and it was, you know, clunky, but occasionally effective. Do you think Ananobi showed enough growth during the season this year that, um, you're comfortable with that? You know, if, if Ananobi's usage has to tick up to 16, 17%, or if they have to use Ananobi as a screener more often to get Siakam an advantage against, um, the worst defender on an opponent, are you comfortable with Ananobi in that, or is that something you're looking for over these next uh, these next eight to eleven games from him as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I don't really recall that many instances of OG setting ball screens specifically. Um, I, I think, especially with a guy like OG and Pascal, you know, I guess in most instances they would have very like sized defenders, so you won't necessarily mm-hmm. be creating as much of a height gap as you would with Kyle screening or Freddie screening. Um, but you you say that, but could you not see like 
you know, if you were last year's 76ers and you're looking for a place to put Redick, mm, yeah. um, you know, is that not the spot you do that? Or or you look back to earlier Raptors teams, like that's the spot DeMar would be hiding. And while that's not a size advantage necessarily, it could get Siakam or Lowry uh, attacking a weaker defender in general. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I do think that, especially in the playoffs, I think the, the matchups will be more detailed and, and more... Um, uh, concerted and, and specific. And, and yeah, I mean, to that end, I, I do think it is important for OG to, to set the screens. Um, but also, I think at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I still think most of the late game offense will run through Kyle, run through uh, Pascal. But I think in the longer scheme, you know, maybe, no, maybe not necessarily in this upcoming playoff run, but I do think that, you know, it's good to hear that they have all these intentions for OG. They see the growth and they see the potential because, you know, with OG – there always is that sense that there's more there. And I think we you see it in flashes. Um, you know, him handling the ball in the, in the pick and roll a little bit. Um, it, it's been kind of interesting. I think he's really trying to work on that pull-up jumper. And so if you can get that part of the game down, then that'd be great. Um, but really, I think with OG, it's just uh, he, he has to sharpen the handle a little bit more um, if, if he's going to be able to be dynamic. You know, it, okay, it's one thing to be able to pull up. But we're not exactly talking about, you know, Steph Curry or Dame Lillard off a of pick and roll right now. We're, we're, you know, so if, especially with a guy like OG who's 6'8", really incredibly strong, if his handle is good enough where he can get all to the basket, then all of a sudden you have a more dynamic um, wing player, uh, you know, who can maybe develop in that path. And I just think it's good. I just think it's good that, um, you know, uh, they have these intentions. But I think for the upcoming playoffs, I doubt you'll see OG that much. I think he's still going to be kind of the fifth option. And really for him to get his usage up, I think a lot of it is also on him too, right? Like, um, can he come in and, and read the play and, and find good opportunities to crash the offensive glass? Uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of extra attention on, you know, Kyle, on, on Pascal, maybe even on Fred. So is he going to be able to make the right off-ball cut? Uh, is, he, is he going to be able to get steals on the perimeter and take it all the way in for for dunks, which is kind of his signature play right now? Yeah, the pick six. Yeah, he's he's really good at that. Although when I did watch some film about that, there was also a lot of opportunities that were missed too. I think again that speaks to the handle. It's kind of limiting how fast he can go, and 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 maybe too just like the confidence that you do have that freedom, right? Like yeah. The, I think the natural inclination, unless you're really high on the floor, is you come up with a steal and you look for a point guard to pass the ball to. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think he is generally better as as a trailer or filling the wing than he is leading the break. But at the same time, when you have a pick six situation, especially on the perimeter, it's kind of just on you to take it all the way in. And I think Ochi can develop in that front. So with the pick and roll, then you're saying that that one time I'm I'm over extrapolating from that one time that Siakam and OG roasted Belitza and Barnes in the in the pick and roll. Oh yeah, definitely that one play from Raptors Kings in, in March. Yeah. yeah, that's uh. By the way, uh, to put a number on it, Ananobi finished only 16 possessions as a, a pick and roll roll man this year per uh, synergy. Those resulted in 17 points, so not not bad, but uh, you know, uh, uh, not great turnover there and not great finishing. You know, a couple of those were pick and pop, not not really roll man stuff, uh, and only four of those were with Siakam handling. Uh, unfortunately, like we don't have access to public data in terms of. You know how many of those I'd have to go through all the the Siakam pick and roll as a handler to see how effective that was um, with Siakam. You know, trying to attack after OG sets a screen. But yeah, limited sample there. Um, but it could be you know it's something that could be could be fairly important. Uh, Will I told you I'd only keep you for about forty five minutes. Is there anyone else that there's like before I let you go that is that stands out to you as like this is 
you know, player X, I'm looking for thing Y, and that's where my focus is. Like, you know, if Paul Watson were going to play 40 minutes over these three uh, scrimmage games, I'd say the thing I'm looking for is, you know, Watson with the 905 could shoot it and he could attack in a straight line. But like, does he have those counter moves? Does he have secondary attack moves? Um, Is there anyone more relevant to the Raptors rotation that you're looking for a specific area of growth for as we get going here? Yeah, I I think it's I think it's Mark. Um, I just want to see more of a ability to score. From Mark again, we're always asking for a lot more from Mark, but at the same time, he's admitted this has been a frustrating season for him. He's he shed all this weight, and I'm just interested to see if he can have more of that scoring mentality. When you watch back in some of the Memphis film, and it's not from like 10 years ago, we're not talking about like the grit and grind Grizzlies, we're talking about like the 2017 2018 Memphis Grizzlies. Um, yeah, 26% usage, rate yeah. With, with and if you go back one season further, you know. Gasol, in 2016, 2017, Gasol was an all-star, 26% usage, league average, true shooting. You know, mm-hmm. some of those, I think it's telling, 2017, 2018, those Memphis offenses weren't very good. So the fact that yeah. Gasol was carrying a heavy load is maybe not all that encouraging. But I don't think any of us are asking for like 7-8 post-up a game, Mark Gasol. You just want to see him be a scoring threat a little more to open up his playmaking. Yeah, and look, and that, that offense might have something to do with the fact that their wing options were Tony Allen, uh, Wade Baldwin, <laughs> James Ennis. Uh, I, I guess Vince Carter, but I mean, we're talking about like Vince was probably like 52 at this point. So, um, yeah, he was only dunking once again yeah. back in back in 2017, Yeah. So, you know, Mark had to take more shots, but I, I think it's also just to, to have five true threats on the floor. I think you need Mark to do a little bit more than just swing the ball and swing the ball is very important. Screening is very important. Spacing is very important. But we know Mark can do more scoring. I think you can. We, I want to see him more aggressive. And I just think like. You know, not necessarily on post-ups, because I don't think the Raptors run that many post-ups for anyone other than Pascal anyway. But, um, you know, that ability to sort of be aggressive in the mid-range, shoot the three more often. I mean, there's no reason why Mark couldn't hit five or shouldn't shoot five threes a game, right? Because he has like five open looks for three every single game that he just ends up rotating the ball. But seeing more of that shot there and maybe occasionally a little bit better finishing in the post or in, you know deep in the paint occasionally rolling to the basket i think he has enough touch and skill down there that hopefully with more energy and more sort of just um i don't know more fitness uh, that he can score down low because you know you're going to need someone to balance out the offense and i think we know Serge can provide scoring but um you know mark's obviously going to be the, uh, the starting center and you know, if Mark can give you like 12, 13 points per game, if he can be closer to 50% with his overall uh, field goal percentage, you know, if he can shoot five threes a game, then yeah, I'd be pretty happy. I'm looking for, I mean, look, that, and that's the thing though. Everyone keeps talking about Mark too, you know? So I, I feel like everyone's, you know, expecting a lot out of Mark and we know he's a great player. We know it's still there. Um, and Especially and, defensively. Yeah, well, especially defensively, right? And, and you know, going back to the jumbo lineups thing, like you're going to need a lot of Mark in a lot of situations. So... Hopefully he's rested, he's he's healthy, he's he's good to go, and we can get to see the best of Marcus. I mean, realistically, even though the Raptors won the championship, we still haven't seen the absolute best of Marcus all on a consistent basis. And maybe that's gone, but I, I still choose to believe that there's still some of that magic left. By the way, it's a it's a miracle that the Grizzlies have already built to being a uh, like a borderline playoff caliber team in twenty that twenty seventeen twenty eighteen Grizzlies team went twenty two and sixty finished bottom five at both ends of the floor and had twenty four different players on the roster over the course of that year. I'm gonna read you the names of the wings that uh, Marc Gasol had around him on that oh on that team. So 
Uh, Xavier Rathon Mays. Oh, okay, yeah. Ben Mac Ben Mclemore. Okay. Marshawn Brooks. Oh man. Wayne Selden. Uh, James Ennis. Mike Henry. Tyreek Evans. Andrew Harrison. Dylan Brooks. And Chandler Parsons, but I don't think Chandler Parsons played. Really. Was this the year? Oh, he played. Th- Chandler Parsons played 36 games that year. Chandler Parsons definitely counts. Was this the year that Ernie Grunfeld thought he was trading for Delon Brooks, but was actually getting Marshawn Brooks? That it has to be right. <laughs> I don't think Marshawn Brooks was in the league anymore after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's oh, uh man. no, it's it's actually it, no. Mar- Marshawn Brooks got one more year after that with Memphis. Jeez. Wow, I mean he would have been traded, so I guess. Um, no, I mean it, it. It's really fantastic the way the Grizzlies have rebuilt. I've, I really like a lot of the young pieces. Um, you know, they've they've just quietly done a really good job acquiring talent. And yeah, you know, I, they make all the NBA Twitter moves. Like like the fact that they signed uh, Jonte Porter, mm-hmm. for example, is like that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that they like, you know, you got Justice Winslow for you know essentially for for not much at all, and like you look at. Obviously, Winslow's had a lot of injury troubles, but, like, certainly uh, that's a gamble worth taking. And, like, DeAnthony Melton mm-hmm. was kind of like an analytics favorite that, that that they were able to poach cheap. Brandon Clark slid in the draft more than he should have, and he was a big, like, draft Twitter guy. Um, and then, obviously, you know, they have they have JV, so, so you've got the Raptors angle there. Yeah, and, They're you fun. know, Tyus Jones, you know, Dylan Brooks has had a really nice breakout year, although his his usage is really high for a guy who don't think he's that good offensively. But, you know, I mean, he's 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 one of the most fascinating players in the league in that, like, there's his usage probably shouldn't be 25 percent because, like, his true shooting percentage has never been particularly good. And, and this year he didn't get to the free throw line a ton and stuff. But, like, Memphis needs him to be that guy so often. Yeah. And I think, like, quietly his defense has improved at least, like, his man defense, he's like a really effortful defender and he's 6'7". And, um, you know, I, I still think, I think Brooks is probably like not not necessarily good yet, but I think he's close to being good. And he's like, he he's very useful for what Memphis is, the holes in Memphis's roster right now. Yeah, I kind of see him like maybe on like a Jay Crowder path a little bit, you know, like. Sure, a, yeah, a, little, a guy who a gets little, a reputation for being able to shoot but can't shoot. Yeah, I was going to say, a little too confident, but, like, in a good way, you know? Yeah, um, um, Dylan Brooks, by the way, already has three seasons shooting the three better than uh, that would rank at least number two in Jay Crowder's career. Yeah. Dylan Brooks has shot 35, 37, and 37%. Uh, Jay Crowder wishes he had the 3 and D profile to hit. To hit even 35% of his three. Yeah, it was really funny that Jay Crowder got so much love. Um, I think it was just like, you know, he had some decent years with Boston, but it just, when you go to Boston, your your, your profile just some, suddenly shoots up and um, he was... He's only shot better than 34% on threes once in his entire yeah. career. Yeah, and that was that year that, you know, he was put into that Kyrie trade. And people were like, yeah. well, come on, man. LeBron got like a Draymond Green-esque type of player. And I was like, guys, please, what are we doing over here? Have we seen what Jay Crowder does? This, yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah. um, you know, again, it's just if you play for the Boston market, your 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 profile somehow always raises. So um, good for Jay, I guess. Now he's in Miami doing, I don't know, 
Miami yeah. things. If you were uh, if you were wondering, guys, if Will Lou is ready for the restart and is in midseason form, he managed to work Celtic slander into a conversation about the 2017-2018 Grizzlies and Marc Gasol's usage. So uh, Will is ready for the restart. We're all ready for the restart. The Raptors get back in action Friday against the Houston Rockets in scrimmage play. August 1st is the game is the date to, to circle for the first actual game against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, we'll be back next week to talk with Eric Green. Uh, we'll have uh, two scrimmage games from the Raptors under our belts at that point. Or maybe we'll just wait until the Wednesday so we have all three. Um, and we'll have actual basketball to talk about instead of hypothetical basketball to talk about. Will, how how excited are you for the first 10 things back on Friday? Oh, I can't, I can't wait to overreact to um, everything, you know. Uh, to get to 10 is a lot, especially in a scrimmage, but no, I'm ready for it, man. Yeah, but you can you can bang out three or four on just, like, how the refs, uh, how the yeah, refs yeah, yeah. sucked and, and yeah. how, you know, they need the scrimmages even more than the players and... I mean, at, All that at this stuff. point, it writes itself. I mean, um, no, I mean, I, I am kind of excited to just see just where the guys are at. You know what I mean? Like, um, sure. I have like a link to some of the NBA's proprietary like training footage or whatever. So I've been watching those, but it's it's just like there's nothing to see in there, man. Like, <laughs> there's just like I'm taking a screen grab of what Chris Boucher looks like. And honestly, it doesn't look that different from where he was before. His arms got bigger. But um, yeah, I'm just excited to see these guys back on the court. I'm, I'm happy everyone... I mean, look, the bubble being with zero cases is actually fantastic. That's where you have to start. Hopefully, I can keep it that way. Um, but yeah, I'm look. As, as much as it's fun to see players fishing, it's oddly satisfying to see NBA players fish so much. Um, I, I need to see NBA basketball, and you know, we're, we're very close. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. You know, and, and beyond just the the good case numbers, um, encouraging to see that at, at least so far. Um, Players and teams have been given the opportunity, as we expected, to uh, continue to push messages of social justice. You know, obviously there was a little bit of um, pushback on the limited jersey names, but now we have the MVPA partnering with Russell Westbrook to give uh, a few more options on shirts. And we have a lot of players and coaches working in um, relevant topics into their into their discussions, like Fred Van Vliet closing his, uh, his availability on Monday by saying uh, about the jerseys, uh, I think there's a lot bigger fish to fry and a lot more work to do. There's real issues going on. Breonna Taylor's killers are still walking around and living a very free life. There's other things we can worry about. Um, so uh, glad to see players and teams continuing to push that stuff. The Raptors continuing to push um, that line of thinking with the hiring of John Wiggins as their VP of Culture and Inclusion and what they're doing in the bubble uh, and giving the players and the coaches and their team messaging uh, the platform to push that stuff. So um, hopefully that that all keeps up and, and is all well and good um, and a big talking point as we get back to actual basketball games because as excited as we are, those things cannot allow us to... Uh, they can't distract from, from what's going on in the world and the fact that players wanted this relaunch to continue to affect change, not just to play basketball. Uh, Will, thanks so much for coming on, man. Guys can follow him at William underscore Lou on Twitter, check him out at Yahoo Sports, uh, writing and podcasting the Raptors Over Everything podcast, the Run It Back show with Alex Wong, uh, and take a look uh, if you are so inclined to his uh, lecture series on becoming a basketball writer or just how to navigate that. Will, thanks so much, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, glad, very glad that you worked in the Celtics slander. We're we're ready. If anyone, if anyone was uh, was wondering, if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic yet, theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off a subscription or click on any of my recent articles for a 30-day free trial. Guys, we'll talk to you next week uh, with actual games to talk about. 